Hey everyone, so I'm really excited because we have our second guest on the podcast today and uh, it was a a nice conversation all in all, Ahmed has a lot to share so me and Ahmed, uh, Ahmed Qadim, we met about three years ago when I went to Dubai to visit my my brother and sisters and my brother's best friend called me and he's like yo let's go to the beach let's hang out and let's do stuff and I was like yeah hell yeah I'm in and I I get into my brother's friend's car and there was this guy sitting shotgun and that was Ahmad you know with this long hair and I think he was wearing like these cool sunglasses and I was like oh who's this dude (laughs) and then we go we head to the beach and and we ended up you know having this two hour long conversation us three about simulations right and how you know we started talking about how games are in a sense simulations and how like this world in itself could be a simulation but how that might not be the case because there's always a loss in data and then we had that discussion for two hours to see like if it's if it holds you know and that was nice so Ahmed contacted me about I don't know a month ago or so after he heard understanding want and he was like, dude, <laughs> we have to do this. We're going to make it happen. So we decided on the date and we recorded it, I think, uh, last Friday. Today's Sunday. And so that was the 1st of February. And yeah, he's in uh, Mexico City right now uh, working on, I don't know what. You know, I think we get into that a bit in the episode. But otherwise, yeah, guys, fucking enjoy. I really appreciate Ahmed and... So yeah, I'll leave it at that. Take care. I'm really glad I'm getting these problems out now. So when I do my own podcast, I know what the fuck. Yeah, yeah just just do all your mistakes here, man. No problem. <laughs> yeah, this is really good. Basically, what happened is like, well, while I was still in university, I realized how bullshit economics was. Okay. I never really wanted a job in economics anyway. I just wanted to study financial economics as a way to like. I, I thought it was a good idea to do that because of like. On, on the path to being like an entrepreneur. Mm. So back then you thought that this is something you need to do on that path? I thought so, but I, now that I look back, or like even once I did a year of it, and I was like, mm, no, this isn't what I need to do. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe all I needed to do was just to like switch more to like a pure business finance instead of an economics finance. Mm. I think the economic side of it was the bullshit part, but the finance side, if I'd done more of it, would have actually helped me a lot. Okay, but it wasn't more related to business, it was just pure economics. It, it was it was like a couple of, it was like maybe five or six finance classes together with like 20 economics classes. Okay. So if I had just not done any of the economics or just done like two or three economics and like mostly done business finance, I think that would have been a much better thing. Um, because like I said, economics turned out to be mostly bullshit and mm. all of these fancy four like theorems and models that don't actually help anything in real life <laughs> whereas business is like okay here's how you look at the profitability of a business here's how you look at these ratios that tell you what's actually a good sign versus a bad sign when they release their earnings results this is how you can evaluate your business and see you know if your fixed costs are too high that's going to be a problem because of this this and that and it's like very practical it's very much like I can take that information and now I can go look at any business and analyze it and say, is this business going to generate a lot of cash in the, in the future? Yeah. That stuff I kind of had to like learn myself, although I did get the basics, you know, in those classes.
Oh, so you took online courses or things like that? No, just like learning by myself, like not a course necessarily, but just like, you know, figuring things out as you need to. Oh, so you already tried opening a business before. Mm -hmm. Cool. So yeah, what was the next step after after those two years? Uh, yeah, so I was um, I went to Bitmaker, which is a like at the time it was just web development boot camp. They had okay. just opened, and it was like it was like five guys in their twenties who had just done a boot camp of their own in Chicago. Like like they went to another web development boot camp. They loved doing it, and they decided to open one in Toronto. Okay. So it was a bit of a like bit of a ramshackle kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. anything anything you get into like the first time anyone does anything is usually very sloppy and like they learned what to do properly based on how they tried to provide the workshop or boot camp rather to yeah. to the first But it, it was definitely like a revolutionary way of looking at education. I mean, boot camp idea. I mean I mean I've never been to a boot camp so I don't really get like what's different in a boot camp actually. What's different is that you're fully engaged in a very practical set of exercises and activities for an intense but short period of time. So the way I would put it is like, let's say if you're in university, you've got four or five classes a semester, but they don't mm -hmm. actually take up your entire time. So, you know, maybe you have two or three classes today and four classes tomorrow. But between them, you have breaks, you have your campus life, you go do this extracurricular, you go meet up with your friends there, you go out drinking on the weekends, you go back and chill and do this. Or even the classes you take are more varied, you know, they're not all towards one purpose and one, one skill. Hmm. And a lot of the classes are more theoretical. So great, you learn about this theory and that theory, but you've never applied it. By yeah. the time you apply it, it's the, you know, you're graduating university, you go apply for jobs, by the time you get a job, and then hopefully you, something you learned in university applies to what you're doing in your job. But as we know, for most people of our generation, that's not really the case. <laughs> so it ends up that you forget what you learned in university because you never, ever applied it. Never, and a few yeah. things that you do apply, you actually just learn them more on the job than you did from what you did in university. Yeah, so you've basically done all of that for nothing, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's other benefits to doing it beyond the direct application of knowledge to skill. Yeah, definitely. At least like for me, I say like the time I spent with myself by myself and just going through these materials, it opened up a few places in my mind and just gave me time at least to figure out who I am instead of just exactly. being. If you'd yeah. gone right into a job, that might have been a very different like outcome, right? Yeah, even though yeah, I might have learned faster on the job, you're right. It's important to go through this. So yeah, I think yeah, the social and personal aspects of university are what's important about it, not so much the educational. Yeah, with, so. with some like with some things and are you know, I don't think that applies to all uh, like career paths or majors. Yeah. So let's say if you're doing like hard sciences, there's no other way to do it. <laughs> there's no other if, way. If you're doing engineering, there's really no other way to do it. Yeah. If you're doing architecture probably no other way to do it. Accounting, same. So I think when you look at it, it's like the extremely technical things to the point that you really are doing technical things for four years 
that I would say, yeah, that's probably still the best way to do it. Yeah, because like within architecture or any anything, you're actually exercising that what you learned every day. You know, you're drawing and you're working on projects, and you 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 learn that skill for sure. But, but yeah. Uh, so that's what makes a boot camp different. Yeah, you just go head first into something for like two weeks, and you do that eight hours a day. Well, ten and... weeks usually, ten or twelve. Okay, three months. Yeah, exactly. I thought they would be shorter. No, you can't learn enough in two weeks, but you can learn enough in twelve. So three months, and like you're you're you have another skill basically in your life. To... Yeah, three months, and you can get a job as a developer or a designer. Or these days, you can also do like data analysis. Like you can kind of do like you can like go. You can become a junior data scientist at the end of twelve weeks. Okay, but how how's the process when you're like when you dive into it? What's going on in a bootcamp? So I think the way that most of them work and the way that Bitmaker did uh, at the time was actually only nine weeks that we did, but they extended the program over time. But it's like you know you start off week one basics of, of development learning how to use the terminal so you know figure out how to run these basic commands figure out how to save your work to github and commit your work and so it's very much like the morning is a lecture where mm -hmm. the new topic is introduced and there's still like you know code alongs or like practice sessions in that lecture but for the most part it's like here's a new topic here's a new concept here's the breakdown of it here's how i would do it i'll show you how i would do it in front of you Okay, now you try doing it. Okay, now here's the next topic. Now what happens if this problem arises? Here's how we solve that. So very much like a still practical, but lecture. And then break for the afternoon, and then you have an assignment or a project that you need to continue working on for that afternoon. So let's say, okay, you know, your project for today is to build a tic-tac-toe game in JavaScript. Mm. Now you, you, you kind of learn the basics of like UI manipulation and interaction in JavaScript, how to receive events and then respond to them, and then how to change the interface in response to those events. Now it's up to you to figure out how to apply that to make a tic-tac-toe game. So you didn't know anything about any of that before <laughs> the bootcamp, obviously. And then... uh, I did a little bit because I'd been like, while I was in university, I was doing like online HTML, CSS, JavaScript kind of courses. Okay. But they're very limited, I think, yeah. how far they can get you. And it's very difficult, and it takes a very long time. Like, I was self-learning HTML, CSS, and a little JavaScript for, like, two years and barely made as much progress as I made in, like, the first three weeks of the boot camp. Yeah, so boot camps are definitely worth it, man. I never, like, I, I think I'd like to get into a boot camp now. Fuck it. I want to learn a new skill out of nowhere just to surprise my mind, you know? Yeah, but I mean, the one thing that is a limitation of how boot camps currently work is they're really only set up to teach you web development, app development, product design, or only more recently, data analysis. So if basically, if you don't want to end up in a startup or tech company, there is no other, there's no boot camp that does anything else. But that doesn't make sense. I thought like it would be cool like music composing is very hard, for example. I thought there'd be, there'd be a boot camp where you go and you learn how to compose music, for example. Yeah, I think those are, those are schools that have existed for a long time. And you're right, they probably do have kind of like short intensive programs for it. But I'm not sure that it would be the kind of thing where it's like you can come out of it on the other side, like ready to be a, you know, employed. 
It's not about like I'd, li- I'd like to be able to get to a level where I could compose my own music just using my laptop, you know. And I tried to look at courses, not courses, or other videos online, and it just <coughs> bless you. <laughs> it's just a mess to get into, really. Like um, music composing, it's very complicated, and I didn't feel like I was on a structured and proper path to learning how to do something, you know. Well, I'm sure that there are schools for that kind of thing. Like, you know, not like big official colleges, but just like random little music schools that like teach you production and stuff like that. Yeah, it would be cool to go into something like that, you know, travel, go to Mexico for three months and just have a boot camp of whatever there, learn a language or learn a dance and then, or that's just normal classes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And just bounce. So yeah, we were on the path of you joining your first boot camp and learning web development in nine weeks. Uh, yeah, so I came out of that, like, um, I guess also really excited to have kind of found this new way of education, which really inspired me to become a lot more motivated in my like actual life. Cause I felt like it empowered me in a way that like being so disillusioned with university and like and school education, mm that made me feel like very much like I was like, fuck this. I don't want to be part of this stuff. <laughs> and then, and then Bitmaker really helped me to see being like, Oh damn, if I really like rethink the way that things are done and like focus my attention, then like incredibly new things can become possible. Yeah. Just sit down for nine weeks and learn something completely new and open up so many doors in your mind uh, towards somewhere sure. you want to go. Yeah. I can see how, but also that there was like somewhere in the world where someone else was thinking that someone else was realizing how university was a bit fucked in so many situations, you know, someone else was looking at education and, and after all the bad experiences I'd had in my education, it made me feel like it wasn't just about me learning something new. It was about the fact that that existed and other people were thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how that's empowering. Um, after that, it was like, I, I got a job as a web developer in an agency downtown. I didn't like the job, but I stayed for like four or five months. Um, I was still in university, so I was actually just like barely going to classes and doing like 30 hours a week for this agency. Okay. Um, taught me a lot, but I wasn't like interested in the life because it was just very like clock in, clock out. Like no one really cares about their work. Just like it's a job. Yeah. Um, but so then after that, like just before I finished university that, that year, then I, uh, found a blog post about like five new music startups changing the way you experience music in Canada. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and I looked at one of them that was really interesting. It was called receiver. Okay. And it said like, it was going to like merge all of your online streaming libraries together into one place. So you could like have your SoundCloud, your YouTube music. And you're like RDO and your Deezer and Groove Shark. You know, there used to be like a dozen streaming services. Yeah. Before they all died and just became Spotify and Apple Music. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at the point that I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be so helpful because I, I'm such a music nerd. I'm such a collector. I'd love to have something like this. So I messaged them and was like, hey, any chance you guys are looking for a front end developer? I talked to the founder the next week and it turns out like it was just like two guys at that point. Like, I don't know how they got this press coverage, but it was just like two guys. They'd been working on it for like two months 
Yeah. There, there was like nothing <laughs> nothing to it at that point, you know? <laughs> and they just had this random dude come up to them and join their team. And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, we could actually use a front-end developer. That's cool. You, you, That's you cool. seem young and hungry. Like, let's bring you on board. Nice. Um, that was a big learning experience because that's when I started to really dive into the actual entrepreneurship side of what I was doing more. Yeah, so you have to focus on a lot of different things than front-end developing for sure, right? Because there's just two guys. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my, my job was just to do the front-end development, but then like, but also because I, was, I wasn't experienced enough to really contribute in other areas. Like right now, if I was to join a startup, I could contribute to strategy and business and marketing and also help with development and mainly help with design because I've picked up enough of those skills. But at the time, I was just like, yeah, I can do front-end development and maybe a tiny bit of design stuff. Okay. <laughs> but where I learned from was like chatting to the founder and, the, and like the two other co-founders. You know, it's the kind of thing where it's like, let's say you wrap up work at like 5, 6, 7 p.m. and you're kind of tired, but you end up just sitting there and talking for like the next two hours about like what you want to do and what you want to accomplish and, and this like where the product should go and how it should change and you you know you care so much about it that you don't just go home at the end of the day you're like still in it yeah yeah it's the kind of thing where like you you could leave after a 14 hour workday feeling amazing <laughs> yeah i've never experienced that but i can imagine it would be it would be nice knowing like you're working towards something you love like that yeah with people actually that love it just as much you know like they saw like i think personally the only reason that they might have taken you in is because they saw that you approached them this is something that piqued your interest and something that you can put energy into it like energy that they need you know and having you come to them probably energized them even more to be like yeah we can actually make this thing happen you know so it's nice it's always nice to to be able to do that and it's funny, like, I'm just looking at you and I think, like, you went through studying, what was it, the first thing that you studied on the medics, medicine track, something psychology? Biopsychology, yeah. What is biopsychology, man? So you're just looking at certain parts of your brain that are trying to tell you why we think in certain ways, or? Yeah, a good amount of it is neurobiology, which is just understanding the way the brain works. Mm. Um, but a good amount of it is understanding like the biological basis of behavior. Like a lot of it is thinking about like hormones, neurotransmitters, why they affect personality, why they affect mood and behavior. Um, a ton of thought about genetics. So I took like two or three genetics classes in those two years mm. and getting really deep into genetics, you start to understand how like extremely complex it is beyond what we're sort of like the media paints a picture of genetics as like, you have this gene, therefore you will be like this. <laughs> and it's like, mm, that's a more complex system than that. There's a way more like, you know, way more to it than just you have this gene or you don't. Yeah, and like your genes turn off and on and then you don't and then you have that something else and then that's... Absolutely. Uh... Yeah, it's a pretty, I'd really like to go into genetics properly on this podcast one day, man. Like that's been something definitely on my list. Go Trying to understand DNA a little bit, you know, because I know definitely my understanding in DNA is shit, you know. And uh, well, be if nice you, if, to... you, if you want a, a like a proper scientist, I, I know someone who was in university with me who actually followed through and he's now doing research on that kind of thing. Tell you, man, it'd be really nice. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. So, so first your girlfriend, and then this dude. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll just line up your speakers for the next month. Nice. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's nice of you, man. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I've always been. I don't know about you. I've just always been interested in understanding how, personally, I think I got to really learn a lot about psychology just by trying to observe my own thought patterns and see how. I'm reacting to this because of that and maybe some of the conclusions that I come up with are wrong because it's just my subjective experience about what I am seeing myself do and behaving in different ways based on different things that happened and then just trying to see in other people where those let's say patterns of behaviors also exist and then see okay this is actually not just me that reacted this way because of this thing happening to them and I don't know I've always been interested in psychology but I think it's only been because of my own observation of myself. Uh, I don't have the, let's say, background knowledge that I would love to have in psychology by someone that took, compared to someone that took a degree, for example, in, in that. You did biopsychology for two years. Um, I'm thinking about taking a, just doing a degree in psychology at some point, but I don't think that I'd put myself through I don't know, three years, let's say, of going through the educational circle again. There's so much time wasted, like you said. It's not just an intense period where you really learn something properly. Yeah, so you could probably learn everything you need to know about psychology for your purposes in in like a month or two. Yeah, you mean just like get a bunch of books, sit down, go, go somewhere empty and just read, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's funny trying to compare that. You mentioned like behavioral, biological behaviors that decide for you what you do. Like I've been talking a lot on this podcast about how we try to control ourselves, for example, you know, the issue of control. Because I think when we look at life, we try to really look outside of us a lot and try to understand these elements around us. But at the end of the day, life is nothing besides what you can control in life. And the only thing that you can control is your body. And through your body, you control everything else, right? And you have to establish a good relationship between your mind and your body and control both of them and continue to attempt to keep controlling them because it's a process. It's not just something you do. And then after that, you can use your body to enact things out in the universe and then then that's when you can interact with the universe properly before you can actually live, let's say, according to, to the ideal that you live by, live, live the life that you've always believed that you did, or at least not live that life completely, because sometimes it might be a delusion what you're trying to go for, but at least live uh, in a better state than you're living right now. Your relationship with life becomes better because you're interacting with it differently. And then you have this issue everyone has is that we're always trying to interact with maybe too much because we overestimate our ability to control. So at the end of the day, it's just us that we control, but we think that, you know, this happened this way. No, I need to interact with it to fix it again and put it back on course. And we interact with that and play with it or maybe break it or ruin it. Sometimes maybe it's it's a good thing. Who knows? But it's just overwhelming, if anything, because you you always have that pressure, that responsibility, and you feel responsible for everything happening around you when you're just you, 
and you can't do nothing you can't do anything about that you're you you'll always be you and you'll always be in this body and you'll always only be able to control your body and you'll only be able to control things through your body so it's a decision every one of us has to make is how much how much control do i want to have over the world and how how am i going to interact with everything in the world because of that how much responsibility am i going to take for everything around me so i think we talked about this uh, a second ago about trying to see things through this observational lens where this is trying to see this for what really it is maybe just exactly what it is without you interfering with what this thing is and then assessing whether or not you should act in accordance to what it is you're observing and i, I don't know where to right. go with that thought yeah I, th I think to me it was born out of like an understanding of myself and my brain when I'm in an anxious headspace. Okay. And that's maybe where the like motivation to think about this started for me. Um, you know, when I feel anxious and then what you, you know, what I, what I can often do, and especially as someone who has like a bit of a designer brain, uh, I've, I've noticed my, uh, people close to me, like my father has a similar kind of like very analytical brain. That's very like, it, it, it's, it's observational in the sense that he's very observant of the world around him and he's very like noticing small details, how things are being done, how things have been created. And mm. I can do that too. And I know other people who have that same sort of habit built in. Um, I've also seen like positive psychology research that shows people who have jobs where they're trained to look for errors are, you know, have a, have a higher likelihood of, of depression and, and suicide. Because basically they're, you know, taking this training and this like constant, uh, you know, using the skill, like a lawyer, for example, or an accountant, mm. their, their entire success of their job rests in finding errors. And finding what's wrong, finding the, <laughs> and exactly. you can link that to just finding negative things in your own life to begin with. And you're always thinking about what Absolutely. you're focusing on and what you're saying is what's wrong with the world rather than the miracle that it's actually functioning even though everything's so wrong you know for sure yeah and um maybe even the miracle that it's functioning might even be almost too strongly in the other direction just that uh, it, it is what it is it's it is more it is. sort of like simple and neutral way of looking at it and then i think that that might be more more closer to the truth than either of the two sort of extremes that it's not a magical wonderland but it's also not a, a place where we can point out every single detail that's wrong and have that be our reality either yeah. um but yeah coming from that anxious line of thinking it was very much like you know i would notice the world around me and be like oh my god how is this like this like how how are how are these things like the way they are like why can't they be more like that and that well and that and that comes from the anxious judgment right but then it yeah. can also come from desire so judgment would be, okay, that, that's wrong. Why is it like that? Why can't they do it better? But desire comes from like, oh, I wish it was like this. I wish this was happening right now. I wish that thing could be more like that. I want this. So I want, you know, I'm, I, what I'm getting is not what I'm hoping for. So you're, so you're not just talking about what the world is. It's you're talking about what the world is giving you. You're not getting from the world what you thought that you should be getting and you thought it should be another way. I'm just trying to understand what you meant exactly by um anxious judgment or 
I, I thought that was a bit weird to put it that that you're seeing life and judging things through that lens of anxiety. Well, to me, that that's what I what I would, what I would call like the prescriptivist way of looking at the world, and that, maybe that's a chunky term, but basically what I'm trying to say there is when we're looking at things and we're not taking them as they are, we're looking at them by what we think they should be or what we wish they were. Yeah, in every situation, not just institutions, but real life interactions and what you're getting out of life. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll give you a very simple example. And this is one that's going to resonate with a lot of young guys out there. You're at a party and you look around the party. Let's say you're there with you and like a, a, a friend or two. And, okay. and you're all guys and you, you get to this party and you weren't sure what to expect. And then you start looking around. What are many guys going to be doing in that situation? Girls, just they, looking, try, trying to find the girl to try and get with. That's it. So you're mentally scanning the room for how many hot girls are there and how many of them are available and how many of them want to sleep with me. Mm -hmm. So what does that actually do to both your mindset and to your perception of the party? You don't see any other room for you to have fun besides just following that pathway and trying to get laid. And because of that, you don't have fun at all. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We've all lived through this, man. Like, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a very, very strong case that happens to a lot of people. And, I, you know, I'm sure there's many other great examples, but that one's a potent one. That, that one's, like... a, yeah, man, yeah, man, honestly, because, like, <laughs> I, I see it, I see it, like, I saw it at least, and I still see it with myself, you know. You go to a place, you quickly assess. For me, I just assess which people around me can I engage with and have fun with and i think that's the right approach to it now where i can i can talk to whoever be it guy or girl and just try to have a a nice conversation and it's just not it's not it's not it's not just a nice conversation with me when i'm at a party it's like i actually want to do something fun and i actually want to poke people around and see like how they're going to react to the things that i'm, I'm throwing at them you know it's just like i it's a it's verbal jujitsu sometimes with people and you try to, to see like where you can go with that. And, and then you have a group around you and you're laughing and you're sharing stories. And I think that's what attracts more positivity and energy into you. And then maybe the possibility of you actually getting with that hot girl that you've been, <laughs> you, you wanted to begin with, you know, but uh, it's not, but you don't go with it. You don't go into it with that intention at all because you just really want to have fun and people gravitate towards fun because if everyone's thinking that at a party and every girl knows every guy is thinking that and they're, everyone's on their toes, then no wonder we're not socializing and we're not happy when, when <laughs> yeah, we're in exactly. those situations. No one's trying to have fun. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's a great example of that. And it's like when you scan the world with that lens in mind, then just like you said, it kind of it ruins any possibility of anything else happening. Yeah. And then that to me that becomes the prescriptivist way of looking at it and that's like what i wish would happen what i think should happen and then by by kind of letting that fill your mind you're not seeing what just is in front of you what is and so you know what is in front of you is a collection of people they might be interesting in many different ways than that what we wanted or what we wished for or what we thought should it be or what and we expect, yeah, exactly. Everything that we expect from them for no reason. There's there's many more possibilities to what mm -hmm. could unfold, you know. You might make a new best friend, or you might find yourself in like 
a circle dance where the like 12 people are like jumping around and like who knows what could happen from that point (laughs) but even then what i've actually seen and observed in myself is that sometimes you you figure that out right you figure okay you know what if i'm more flexible in what i allow to happen then these crazy cool things could happen that i never allowed to happen before yeah but then what i've noticed is that then you can then become addicted to that feeling Wait, 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 what? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on just letting things happen. And then you're in a position where you allow things to intervene with your, let's say, routine mode of being. So you enrich your life with random things that you didn't think would happen, but they did. Mm-hmm. Why so do let's, you... let's, call, let's call that the flowing state of being, the okay. flow state of being, where you're sort of allowing things to happen as they unfold more naturally. You're not pressing towards a desired outcome. Sure. And let's let's say that's the stage I'm in right now. This is why I'm wondering, like, why would I feel like I'm addicted to that type of type of energy? Let's say. So just like what you you said, like, let's say you you go into a party and instead of scanning the room for hot girls and immediately trying to have, like get with one of them, instead you decide, okay, you know what? I'm going to be more fluid. I'm going to be relaxed. I'm going to make contact with many different people. Many different things could happen. I'm going to be open to all of them. And then something amazing happens, like something absolutely like mind-numbingly crazy happens. Like, holy shit, like, uh, you know, the the energy I was giving off was so positive that everyone was reacting super positively to it. And then I was having this incredibly beautiful thing happen. And then, you know what, that hot girl that I thought was really cute actually came over and like thought I was really interesting. And now we're having this magical thing. And and then she asked if we wanted to go, if I wanted to go on the rooftop and check it out. And now we're making out. And oh my God, it's so wonderful. And like, you got to this sort of thing that you wanted through a circuitous route, or maybe something else entirely different happened, but that through sort of figuring that method out. You try to follow that circuit more often, and then you get out of a state of flow because you're trying to enforce flow. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah, th- like I haven't experienced that, and I don't think I, I let myself go through that really because I maybe I will, you know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? Uh, but I, I don't think I try to follow a certain circuit or try to enforce it. Um, I'm, I don't know, man. It's, a, it's it's something to look at, you know, because it is poss- It's possible for that to be the case. We're used to following. We're used to keep doing things that we believe work in that situation, and we try to do that again. But maybe a part of me is always like still thinking, yeah, next time I'm going to still have to react differently because I could have still not gotten more out of it but i could have been more present and more me and more mm-hmm. whatever it is and then you carry those lessons from those previous interactions or those brilliant wonderful things randomly happening to you and like i i remember telling you the story about how when i i went to italy two years ago i got i went to milan for a day and i got really bored of milan really quickly and i just Uh, yeah I was by myself and I just saw all of it and then I just walked randomly into the streets and I was so tired I sat down in front of this church and it's it's like a really simple church it's not it's not complicated it's not like whoa it looks amazing and then this randomly this just black dude with his guitar comes and sits next to me and starts playing tunes and, and and I just look at him and just us and then like I'm I'm his audience, you know, and then I take his guitar and I play like I was still learning like how to play and I was really horrible and I just like played like a few notes that I knew how to play. And then he took it back and he continued and it was just this nice interaction and then he then I left, I think. 
mm-hmm. but I, I just thought that was so enriching, you know, like, I think that's what you mean when you, when you, when you mean, like, let those wonderful things happen to you just because you're there and you're not letting them, you're not stopping them from happening because of your pre, let's say, expectation or pre-existing filter that you try to engage with the world through. And these can happen in so many different situations. And I, and for me, I think they happen so often. I most like I forget about them a lot, you know, it's like, oh, this very cool thing happened to me. And I, it's, it would be an amazing story, but I, a week later, I forget that it happened, but I know that it happened at the same time. It's, it's not like I cling to, to that amazing thing happening for so long to the point that I want to keep following that certain circuit because there is no circuit and I'm, yeah, I think I, I don't cling to the outcome of, of that wonderful thing happening. I just enjoy the fact that it did. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It happened. Um, what's the next thing, you know? Yeah, well, then that's a healthy way of going about it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, who knows what I'll continue to experience, you know? Life surprises us all the time. But, uh, yeah, maybe it's just that, you know, instead of going to that party with any expectations or a filter of what's going to happen, then it's just no expectation at all, ever. And that's not an easy thing to keep up, definitely. But uh, what I want to understand is what the word prescription you said, right? Yeah, I mean, there's probably a better word for it. I really just, that's what I had in my head. But this idea of a prescription being like, this is what this should be. This is what, it, you know, what I wish it was. And sort of evaluating and filtering through that lens. Okay. And you're saying we shouldn't have any lens and just look at something the way it needs to be looked at and then act towards it when we, without trying to decide to act towards it, but to just act without the hesitation of having to make a decision. Well, that's or- actually where, where my like, dilemma comes in and it's something that I've thought about over time and I think many people face this dilemma when they get deeper into Buddhist and Zen thinking Okay, is you know here's a little bit of a paradox that I still really don't have a good answer for Um, Mm. do you you know what Vipassana meditation is? That's when you go for 10 days and you don't say anything and you disconnect completely and you just meditate 10 hours a day right? You can do that, but it's not necessarily that. So it doesn't have to be 10 days of silence. Okay, what it's is it? just that Vipassana meditation is basically a sort of meditation practice where you try to still your mind, clear your thoughts, and observe yourself to a point where, you know, it's, it's the meditation we might sort of often know or think about when you think of meditation. It's that kind of trying to like still and quiet your mind and be completely observant to it. But I, but you can't ever quiet your mind. So not to say that you absolutely will, but that you might reach certain points where you're better able to. Yeah. I'll have to explore that, I guess. Cause like with me, it's, I, I never try to stop the thoughts, you know, I just try to just be there when they happen. I don't know. Well, like a, a simple technique to make that a little easier is to, you know, focus on breathing in and out. Because yeah. instead of trying to think of nothing, by giving yourself one very simple thing to think about, it's more like something that your brain can at least attach to. And then through that, you can quiet everything else. Yeah. So I'm probably not even explaining Vipassana as well as I 
you know, someone who's more experienced with it could be. But at a, at a high level, like that's the, I think, the intention or the idea behind it. And that's different from other types of meditation, which may have, for example, compassion meditation is when you can try to fill yourself with that feeling of compassion as a way of cultivating it within yourself. Okay. Or transcendental meditation might be something that has more of a, like, kind of a, a different sort of process and outcome in mind than, than just this, like, Vipassana meditation alone would, would have you kind of just purely removing as many external thoughts and, and, and sort of impulses as possible and focusing entirely on, like, that sort of quietness of, of the internal mind as a way to observe yourself. And that's a, and that's like a specific process and, and, and you know can lead to a specific outcome. Um, I'm not going to go any deeper because I'll leave it to the people who actually have real experience with it to yeah, sure. ex explain. But I think it's it's the kind of thing where the dilemma that I face, or the sort of like little bit of a paradox about it, is if part of the idea behind vipassana meditation is to remove your sort of like your desire to do things as like, I'm going to meditate so that I can feel more relaxed and happy. Yeah. Because by doing that, you're attaching a, a motivation or a desired outcome. Yeah. So instead of saying like, I'm going to meditate because that will remove my stress so I can do better at my job. The meditation itself becomes an activity kind of removed of that, like uh, desired outcome. Mm. To me, where the moral like paradox comes in, it's like, well, let's say over time, over, you know, let's say weeks, months or years of Vipassana meditation, you can achieve that state of removing the desired outcome or, or the sort of like the sort of, you know, motivation behind why you would want to meditate. Yeah, so you have a when you have the motivation, that's the lens you're seeing this action through, and because you're seeing this action through, you limit the possibility of what can come through to you at the end of the day. Same right. thing with the party situation, exactly. Yeah, but it's so much like, much more subtle because it's not a tangible outcome. It's all within your own being, you know. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Like as an example, Sam Harris had a guest on his podcast who is, uh, you know, long practitioner of vipassana. And he spoke about like, you know, being in, I think, Dharamshala when he was young and he was still like very new to all of this stuff. And he was practicing meditation there for the first time when he was just a, a, you know, much younger. And that, mm. uh, you know, after quite a long time of being there, he had never quite felt anything particularly interesting through the act of meditation until one day he described entering a like an extremely different and like otherworldly mental state where he felt completely outside of himself but also completely outside of like the world itself like almost like everything ceased to exist but he was still like experiencing the nothingness of it okay and that that it was such a like flash of an crazy and interesting and like like in some sense I suppose a joyous or like a just like a deeply resonating experience that he actually describes like that you know that he continued to study meditation for some time after and he continued to practice it but that for the very long time after that his practice was tainted by the desire to re get back to that state yeah 
that he had yeah. this magical experience and for the longest time after was meditating to try to get that magical experience. I can imagine, yeah. And so did he, death, I guess, did like he solve that at the end? Did he, did he get past that by like blocking his head? He, he, he said he did, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's done a couple of episodes. I can't remember his name. I wish I could so I can... Yeah, but it's, it's, it, good, but it's good that he actually got past that, you know, he was aware of it and then he... But see, like, when you're aware of that that motivation that's driving you, uh, it's usually very hard to even be aware of it, you know? And then, then once you're aware of it, usually I think that's half the battle. Uh, just awareness in its own sake illuminates the... I don't know, the path, whatever you want to call it. And... I guess what? what I'm what I what I wonder like where the paradox enters is let's say you've reached that state where you've now cleared all of the motivations and desires behind why you meditate. Okay. Without meditation, oh, sorry, without motivation, why do you still meditate? Like do you want the literal answer or the answer that I would give you for that question? Either, I suppose. So, like, literally, I would say I would continue to do it just so that it continues to, so that I can continue to exist in that state. So, but then I, I might think that you're going to tell me that's the desire and a motivation. Exactly. <laughs> that's the point. But the, how I would answer it is just that I do it for the sake of doing it. Not, nothing more than that. I, it's the process that I go through. There's, there, it has its ups and it has its downs, but it's, I think a part of me enough for me to continue to do it just for the sake of doing it. And can I explain that with, properly with no or, reason, yeah. or how I, how I came to this stage? I'm not saying that I'm a guru or I, I meditate better than other people. You know, it's not like that at all. And I definitely, I don't think I've been in a stage in my life where I just got to observe the nothingness like this guy, you know, I didn't get to experience the ultimate high, let's say of meditating. <laughs> Uh, and maybe that's a good thing because I, I'm just continuing it for the sake of continuing it and when it comes it comes and when it comes I'm going to be like okay cool but I'll just continue doing it because I'm doing it you know and then probably because of that not motivation aside uh, understanding how these types of things work is that there's always it's never that you reach one thing and that's it there's always a, a, a page that you turn and there's a chapter you continue and then you're in that stage again, and you might experience a completely different type of whatever he experienced, you know, a different type of bliss. And, and it's not as if it's that's what I'm going after, but knowing the natural progression of what this is, then that is where that's going. And I'm just, just doing my part and letting myself go through all of that without gripping onto anything for too long or too much or unnecessarily, I guess. But I made it sound as if like I'm a meditating god. No, I'm not. You know, like the last three weeks of my meditation were horrible. But I still sat down and I meditated. My mind wouldn't shut up. And I didn't try to shut it up. And I just stayed there. And now the past three days, it's been it's been good again, you know. And I've been feeling like, whoa. Like after I come out of meditation, I feel like really clear and really here and really uh, like. But then isn't that the medi the motivation is that you're hoping to feel good and clear? If I was hoping to feel good and clear, why did I go through three weeks of just not doing, not getting any clarity out of it, you know? But I'm just doing it for because the sake of doing it. Because you trust that you will return to that? Like, I could trust that I can return to that, yeah. Uh, at least a part of me knows that 
I can't return to that unless I experience the opposite end to it every now and then. Like, and and that's something you can you can debate in a lot of different areas. But what I mean is, you can't see anything if there's nothing to compare it to. Like we mentioned earlier about how life, you can look at all of the mistakes that life life has around. Like you can look at everything that's wrong, or you can look at everything that's good. You're saying we should look at everything for what it is. This is this is it. But it wouldn't be what it is if it didn't have both of those aspects in it. You know, the good wouldn't be good if there wasn't any bad. And if the bad wouldn't be bad if there wasn't any good, you know, to just be mm-hmm. what is. And this is what is. And I know what is, is that sometimes I'll I'll drop into a stage where I can't, where I feel like meditation, like my mind is cloudy and these clouds won't go away. But clouds always go away, even if in a rainy city like Hamburg. There was sun yesterday, and yesterday when I meditated, I felt clear. Maybe the sun had something to do with it. I don't know, but I know that I have to go through that process. Trusting the process, I think you. Sh- I think you need to trust the process definitely, but you shouldn't expect the process to give you anything, because it's going to be on both ends. You know, I've had like the past two weeks. I've been meditating. It's it's been like really a weird place for me man and I recorded the podcast episode and I talked about that and I talked about how I just feel a bit unsure a bit anxious a bit you know but but it's fine you know it's okay and you have to let yourself go through these different states to appreciate every state for what it's worth but then again you know I'm I'm just saying this at this stage in my life right now I might develop these tendencies later if I did actually experience exactly what he talked about I might not want to be alive anymore. I might think it's just better to exist in that state. And if I think that, the second I think that, I'll probably never exist in that state again, you know? And, and I get I get where you're coming from, you know? I, I totally do. Maybe I'm not experienced enough to really... Well, I think the, even if you did feel that, you'd be able to eventually find a way to remove that. It's not like the second you feel that, you will never, ever be able to, you know? It might just be that you need to go through something. Um, yeah, maybe it's a part of the process on its it's in its own right. You know, you have to, to actually feel that desire and then like go through cr- the process. Crave it and learn to not crave it anymore. You know, that takes a strength of character and a strength of soul. I guess, so, yeah, definitely, it's a part of what's necessary. It's a part of the process, I guess. Just trust the process. So, what was your conundrum exactly? Like, did we <laughs> did we get so to the the, con- part? the conundrum is that I. I'm not sure it's possible to have no motivation to do something. And yeah. if the sort of like, I don't know if this is the accepted doctrine or if this is just one perspective behind the idea of Vipassana meditation or similar kind of like techniques or methodologies that are supposed to remove all um, motivation or supposed to remove desire. But yeah. to me, I guess what I, what I sort of reach is like a point of saying, well, you know what, this observational point of view can lead to inaction, can lead to stagnation. I think that's the, the danger of it. Uh, so you just accept it all and you take a step back and you take a step far too back to the point where you stop taking care and interacting with the things in your life that you need to interact with, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, I think taken to an extreme, if you really have no motivation and desire, then like that's not a healthy place to be either. Maybe it's just about existing for the sake of existing and dancing the dance while you're dancing it without having any motivation out of just existing. 
Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about living in the moment, living in the present. The present is the only pre- you know, moment that exists. Yeah. But the present alone, I think, is... You mean you have to have something to look forward to? I mean, yeah, one step in the present, one step in the future. And now the exact balance of how much in the future and how much in the present, you know, I think that sometimes we, I feel like we feed it, we fetishize this idea of complete disattachment, complete loss of desire, complete uh, living in the present, mm. when maybe there's a bit of a healthier balance that does not take it to such an extreme. And that the reason that we might want that, the reason why that balance might be healthier is because we might find ourselves sort of almost endowed with powers to change the world in a positive direction that are not something you would have if you are completely devoid of desire, devoid of attachment, and completely 100% in the present moment at all times. But I, I mean, I mean, you're making it seem like if I'm 100% present in any moment at all time, you're making it seem as if it's as if I'm I'm nothing else. You know, it's like no, I'm everything that I am in this moment too. And if I am positivity in this moment, and I am bringing things in an arrangement where they might continue to go in a positive direction, I think from what you told me, you're making me feel like if I am nothing, and I am only here then I am everything that I am when I'm also here, right? And if I choose to be happy and positive and try to reflect that, and you naturally reflect that, you don't try, you're acting out your being and you're acting it out and you're interacting with the things around you, then that interaction with life that you're going through, life is interacting back and with that, more and more positivity is being created and I think that cascades forward into your being as well you know and and at least for me sure you said that it's very hard to get the balance right between looking to the future and looking at where you are right now I look at the future and I have a lot of plans and we've talked about those plans and Mm -hmm. I have those ideas and which stages of my life I want to go through these plans and I have this direction and momentum of the ideal that I want to exist and live up to Mm -hmm. but at the same time I know that this is what I am now this is what I look forward to now and this is what I believe right now. But am I that attached to those ideas and thoughts and, and that plan towards the future so that when something else comes my way that might be even better for me, am I going to be too blind to it because I'm seeing life through that motiv- motivational lens already, just like mm-hmm. that motivational lens we had at that party. But no, like I feel like if my path were to be different and I, re- I expect it to be extremely different from the landmarks, let's say, that I expected expect in my life. And I'll, I'll sort of welcome that. And mainly because, because of those landmarks that I set out for myself, and like, let's say the podcast is one of them, is that this is... Uh, how can I put this? Having that goal, just because it's an amazing goal, will definitely lead me to... <laughs> To something that's a good place, but it's not within that motivation, but rather within trying to embody that ideal in every moment that I am. And that what I am right now will always change, and that ideal is subject to change as well. And I can accept that, but 
I won't accept having a lower ideal, you know, but I'll be okay with not completely achieving it because I'm only human and I, I have my limitations. I have only what I can control and I'll just try to control what I can control however often that I can control it, you know, and yeah. that's, that's the way I at least see it or try to approach it. But I can always see like you can have the struggle with not having motivation and motivation and trying to find your balance with right now. And I definitely don't always have that balance, you know, and I don't know, man, life, uh, life is sometimes very confusing and you're sometimes in a very bad state and you're, you're lost and you don't know what's going on. But I think that's also a very integral part of the process to go through, right? Because you'll only find your way once you really get lost and you know every other direction you don't want to go to. Then the way that you want to go to is just a tiny little bit clearer and that's where you go. Or at least that's the direction you move towards, but where you'll end up going, you should you should never think about what it is you're... I'm not going anywhere, I'm here, you know? <laughs> I'm here, but while I'm here, I'll try to just be the best here that I can be. I don't know, man. I I, I want to drop my line of thought for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you've got things like in an, in an interesting path where you you have this ability to flow. And you're seeing things very much as like a focus on the present, but you have a good balance of like your plans for the future too. So I'm not trying to like say you're on the wrong track or anything. It's more just like painting an extreme of the picture. No, I, I would never I would never take anything you say personally you know we're just trying to discuss a mental state and seeing what makes a person tick the way they do mm-hmm. and and that's it I think just, just like I said making creating this podcast in its own sense I could I could start with the motivation and I do have a part of me is just saying I, I a part of me really wants people to see what's inside this head of mine and I how I see the world or how I would see certain things and how I would try to interact with certain things when they happen because crazy things tend to happen and how you react to them is one very big part of how you play this game it's it's basically 90 percent of it you know your life throws something at you and you react but how you react how you decide what it threw on you to begin with is it important is it not should it take my energy should it take my attention and this can be something life throws at you and it, like something outside of yourself and it can be very internal as well and we all have these struggles all the time and you know i don't know at least for me like with this podcast a lot of things have become a lot clearer and the fact that i'm seeing myself do it and the fact that i like you want to start your own podcast after when do you want to start it next few weeks sure fantastic like do you expect anyone to actually listen to your podcast at least at the beginning uh no yeah like for me that's the case right now i have i have and i told you that before like i don't like i don't i barely look at how many people are listening because for me that's really irrelevant to the process the process is i made a promise to myself i told myself i'll record once a week and i'll i'll say what it is that i need to say and hopefully get people like you and have just a good discussion where we can both bring each other out and then just going through that, that's something I absolutely enjoy. And I feel like when I am in this state, in this in this position, I am gaining a lot and I'll continue to gain. And is that the motivation? I don't know, maybe, man, but I feel it's enriching me in a lot of ways. The fact that I thought up something and I made it happen. 
it's not exactly like how I envisioned it, and it never should be exactly how you envision it. What matters is that you're doing it, and I see myself doing it, and because I'm doing it, I respect myself more, and because I respect myself more, I have a bit more momentum to act towards the ideal, and a part of the ideal that I'm working towards is an ideal that is okay with change, let's say, and is okay with that ideal itself being different, you know? And that's always what I'm going for. So is there an expectation? Sure. Am I okay with this expectation not coming into life and coming to fruition? I'm completely okay with that. But no matter what, what's in my control, what's in my hands right now, what I can do to try to live up to that ideal as much as possible, I'll try to do. Because I don't have an excuse otherwise. I can either take the problem internally and say, what did I do wrong or how am I interacting with life in a way that isn't getting me what it is that I think I deserve and then work on that and then interact with life the way that it needs to be interacted with individually depending on who you are because everyone's very different and see what happens and what comes into your life and what enriches you but it's you have to be okay with letting go and you have to be okay with not getting what it is that you expect but you'll get something you know and you should be super okay with getting that because you didn't have it to begin with before i started this podcast no one was listening to me i wasn't having this conversation with you but now we are having this conversation and and you know who knows how many people are going to listen and who knows how many people are going to listen to this not now but rather way down the line like way ahead in the future like if i continue this podcast for five years this is one of, like, you're the second guest I have on this show. You're going to be one of the first episodes that people would look at. And you're going to be one of the first impressions of what people expect other guests in the future to be like, you know, as well. And it's not like I want people to have those expectations. I just know that they do. And I know that, you know, this is why, for example, I, I'd really like to have a, a female friend of mine do an episode with me as soon as possible because... <laughs> people will build up a pattern as soon as they can and they see okay first guest guy second guest guy if the next three four guests are also guys then uh that's just not cool you know <laughs> so, so you have to be aware of the expectation being built and try to manipulate that expectation but what i always tell everyone listening is just don't have any expectations you know sometimes i record with a friend and then the recording gets butchered, for example, and we can't use it. So I, I end up just recording one for my for my own. Yeah. Um, just just give me give me a second. Yeah, I have I have this designer. I'm trying to design um, a book cover for a book that I'm trying to write, and I got her off of Fiverr, a freelancing platform, and she wants to Skype with me right now to discuss the details about the book and the cover and exactly how I want it to be like. Why don't you write the book first? I wrote like uh, like I, I wrote a very good portion of it first. Oh, so uh, okay. This nice. is this is a good stage where I can try to have something more tangible in in my hands, like how this book is going to look like. It's I think it's going to shape the image for myself a lot better too. So I told her we're gonna have the call at eight, and it's seven fifty-five right now. And, oh, okay. Uh, we were supposed to have our call at five, but. Uh, sure. Let me let me tell her. You think we can conclude this in twenty minutes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, yeah. Give me a second. I'm also just gonna take a minute, so I'll, I'll be uh, yeah. I'll I'll come back in a minute. Okay. Uh, okay. So.
Yeah, just to, to to tell you like what what it is like. That's the mentality at least I go through with my with my podcast, and like it's it's enriching my life in ways I didn't expect to be for my life to be enriched, and it's just because I didn't expect it to enrich my life in any way. Of course, I'd love if down the line people more people listen to me and more people adopted this way of thought, for example, so that they interact with their their own lives in a better way for them, then that would just make me happy. And I think that would create more positivity in the world. Is it a motivation I'm working behind? Yeah, but it's not a self-serving motivation, you know, and I don't think I'm still being enriched in, in ways I didn't expect. And I'm I'm having this conversation with you and i'm gonna have a conversation with you on your on your own podcast and i'd really like that too and you know you're gonna get your girlfriend for me at some point and we're gonna talk to her and you're gonna get me that friend of yours that finished his bio biopsychology degree and like kind of talk to him and then that gives me more more avenues for me to explore myself and other people in different ways and because of you i got to reflect on what it is that motivates me to begin with. And I got to explore that thought process, for example. Um, so that's, that's at least for me. And, and I, I really, I really enjoyed having you like today, man, like uh, it was, it's a nice path that you went through. And I think I'm, we're definitely going to record another episode again, you know, like down the line a month or two from now, you know, why not? And I actually delve that's deeper. Great. into now that people actually know you, you know, they'll, They'll know what to expect, you know, and they shouldn't expect anything because you're so much more than than what people can just extrapolate from the little things that you you give them. But people don't usually see that, and you have to let them go through the process of seeing that and disturbing their expectations somehow, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not like every person you get into this conversation with. <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, so what is your podcast going to be about? Might as well talk about that. Well, actually, there there is something I wanted to like quickly paint a picture of before mm -hmm. you wrap up, and that's that like thinking about that kind of paradox of like that idea of motivation versus like flow and and, and goal setting as you know is that a valuable thing or is that getting in the way of that flow and and to what extent like are are we completely in the present versus having a foot in the future? Should the past be involved at all? And, and here's kind of what I've come up with so far, and I'm sure it needs refinement, and I'm sure it needs like feedback and work. Mm. But here's like a, a simple kind of like, you know, set of set of thoughts and instructions on like how, how to go through all of this that, for the most part, resolve some of the paradoxes I was seeing. Okay. And the basic beginning is like looking at the world from an observational viewpoint. I think is a really good starting point removing that prescriptive viewpoint that like this should be like this or why didn't they do it this way or oh no it's not like that or i wish it was like this those things are unhealthy and should be removed mm. but at the same time a lot of those times a lot of those types of thoughts can become the genesis for extremely groundbreaking and, and positive work okay you know sometimes people ask themselves a question of like why don't we do things this way and instead of letting that thought fester into a negative, like now I'm just sitting here thinking about how shitty it is that we don't do that. To me, the, the sort of difference and the, and the place where I'd like to draw the line between healthy and unhealthy is that once you have that type of thought, you have a choice and that yeah. choice is I can either decide to do something about it 
or I can decide to let it be as it is. And if I'm not going to do something about it, then I'm not going to keep thinking and saying that same thing. So let's say the education system. You know what? That's not great in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things that can be improved. It's underfunded. It's still based on a 19th century industrial revolution model. It trains people to be followers, not creative leaders. There's a lot of things we could do that's going to be a lot better in education. Mm -hmm. But I have a choice. When I know these problems exist, and I have some ideas about perhaps how to fix them, but I have a choice at this point. Do I then dedicate myself to going and fixing those problems or shut up about it? <laughs> you know, like if I just sit here and talk about these problems all day, I'm, I'm both hurting myself, I'm hurting the people around me, and I'm not getting anything done. But mm -hmm. if I am passionate enough about it to focus on that problem to the exclusion of the other things that I might be doing, now I absolutely should be thinking that way. And tying each of these prescriptive thoughts to a solution. So, I mean, this is kind of common, like, basic human behavior advice that people will say, don't just complain about someone else, offer them a solution. When you critique someone else's work, you don't just want to point out, oh, well, that looks ugly, and that doesn't look good, and I don't think this should work that way, and that's confusing to me. It's usually much more, you know, constructive criticism is to say, like, hey, this red is a bit harsh. Would you, you know, maybe let's try turning, uh, desaturating it a little bit and seeing if a softer red might be a little more easy on the eyes. Okay. Now you're moving from like, okay, so here's a prescriptive way of looking at this thing, you know, but that has to be immediately tied to an action, a suggestion, a, some effort on your part to do something about it. Because mm. otherwise you're just throwing out complaints. Either it could, it could be entirely internal. It could just be that in your own head, you're looking at the world like that. But then, you know, that's where like the removing all of these thoughts completely, I saw it as being unhealthy too. Okay. Because if you just say, well, that's not the best way it can be, but the world is as it is. Then well, there's no driver for change, maybe. Yeah, so you need something to say, when should I actually think this way and make a change? And to me, the filter for that is when can I have an action on it? In what situation do I prioritize that I've observed something and up until this point I've just observed it as it is. But at a certain point of observation, I reach a point where I can visualize a better way for it to be. And that okay. visualization is me looking into the future. That's not necessarily something about the present. Okay. So I observe the present, I stay in the present, and I make sure not to get ahead of myself. So I stay in the present until the point at which I can visualize a better future. And from that point on, I take action. And now my action might not necessarily solve the problem, it might not necessarily do anything that actually works, but I've taken action, now my next step is to learn from my actions, so then I stop and reflect. Now this is me looking into the past. Mm. So I, let's say I, I ran a boot camp. And then I look at that boot camp and I, you know, let's say I, I was in university. I look at boot camps as a potentially better way to teach something rather than sitting in a university course for four years. Yeah. So now I've, I've looked into the future or then I've taken action. I created a boot camp in response to my visualization of what the world could be. So I've taken that action and now I've ran my first boot camp or now I've ran 12 boot camps. You know, I, I actually taught 
14 cohorts of UX and product design. Okay. Now I've taught 14 cohorts of product design. Now I look back at them and I think, well, you know what? I think I had a very big impact on a lot of people. And I think that for many people, this was a really wonderful, groundbreaking thing, a very different type of education that put them in a really good place. But for some people, they didn't get what they wanted out of it. Or even for the people who did, they could have had been something better. Or there was still a lot of things that could have been improved about that course. Now, there, now, it's, now it's worthwhile for me to look into the past as a way to sort of learn, as a way to understand. I'm sort of almost moving now back into an observational viewpoint. But maybe, maybe the way you're trying to formulate this is that you're looking at the past and the future, but you're, you're not... Your relationship with them is very different as how you would look at them otherwise. You're looking at them for, with a certain specific purpose, let's say, and your relationship with them is as such, what can I learn from my past and how can I act differently towards the future? But you're not clinging to any, anything exactly. that isn't now. I'm not trying to replicate the past and I'm not wishing for a potential future. I'm creating a potential future. And you're here now and you're applying this with your interactions to life now in the present. Um, it's just that your relationship with all of that is just very different. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. if I have a goal in the future, I think the important thing is to not be attached to it. Mm. So let's say I can visualize a beautiful city that has greenery, that has community spaces, and mm. I can visualize this in my mind as a better way for a city to be than the current sort of overpopulated, overcondensed, and overpolluted cities that we have today. Yeah. I can visualize a better model for how a city might work. <laughs> Creating it is a very different topic, though. It's a very different discussion. Absolutely. So I know that I, I maybe don't have the resources or the knowledge or whatever it is that I have to do to actually make that vision a reality. I don't have those things, or I'm not willing to, you know, change my life course of action to, to do those things. Okay. So now whatever that vision I had of that future, whatever that goal might have been, I, I reduce, I re remove my attachment to that. Mm. Or even if I have a goal towards it, like let's say I have a goal towards changing education and the way it works, but if it doesn't end up quite the way I imagined, if it takes a different turn than what I pictured, yeah, because what you can picture well, is okay very, too. it's very general too, it's very holistic. You look at everything and you imagine the finished structure, but the small things that go into building that structure, those are the pain in the ass. And you've talked about that when I told you about my idea earlier. You're like, yeah, you have established the what, but you haven't established how any of this is going to happen. And Absolutely. I can see that. But anyways, man, I have we have seven more minutes before I have to talk to this designer. For so sure. I think... I think let's conclude this here and just tell us I about think, yeah. that podcast Absolutely. you're going to go for. So what podcast are you going to record and how you plan on recording it? So I, I, I more want to do like a series rather than like a, you know, weekly podcast until the end of time. Mm. Um, it's more like I, I, I'm thinking of doing like a six episode series focused around design and entrepreneurship. Okay. And so, so that, is it is it like when you is it design that concerns the product itself or everything from the product to the brand that's behind the product too? I think more focused on product design, but definitely including like the overall 
product design as a whole, I think can be touching brand, can be touching marketing, can be touching engineering and, and business as well. Okay. So some of the things that I, I think would be interesting to kind of discuss in, the, in that series would be um, the business value and the engineering value of good design and design systems and how does that actually drive engineering to be done in a better way or how does yeah. that of course create value for the business i think that's an interesting topic um another one kind of somewhat related to that is how does design help a small startup move more quickly and make fewer mistakes okay i'll be listening to that for sure <laughs> <laughs> um another kind of topic that i would like to cover in another episode would be um this idea of like kind of stories and storytelling, empathetic based yes, design. Yes, dude. Like, I, I want to explore versus, stories versus systems, though. On the other hand, like systems kind of being the, the almost the opposite. So, systems are extremely complex webs of interactions and causes and effects and relationships. Yeah, yeah with functions and purposes. And, yeah. and you can't always tell a convincing story out of one. And even if you do, it'll only be a fraction of what the entire web of relationships of that system are. Okay. But to understand the system behavior in a deep level is really important to many types of products. It's just important to, to just living your life as a human being too. <laughs> Damn. For Systems sure. is everything. Yeah. Whereas Systems stories are, are more the ways that we relate to things as humans that can drive motivation and, and, and impact but might not always be capturing the full picture, but they will paint a very rich picture of a small segment of a thing. Yeah, yeah. And within a story, you have system-like structures, is what you're maybe trying to say? Well, a story, I think, would only paint one flow through a system, whereas the system is trying to methodically explain. Yeah, because a story the, the is linear and a system is a web, yeah. Uh, it's a matter of how we view everything linearly and how the system isn't linear at all. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah, cool, dude. What's the What's the name of your podcast going to be? Uh, I don't really have one yet, but oh, my... dude, that's like the first thing you need to come up with, man. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I think it's like to me, name and logo come after the thing has decided what it is. Uh, for me, I I create the name and then I decide what the thing is. Uh, yeah. I think it's because uh, sure, sure, it's nice to start at the why and at the lowest level and build up from that. But I think it has to be both. It has to be a relationship between that lower level and that upper level, and then them meeting and building up <laughs> slowly. You know, so this is right. like I I knew I wanted to make a podcast, and like when I when I had that idea, it came with Midnight Wisdom almost at the same time, and those things connected. You know. And, I don't know. I think I think especially with a podcast, I think personally the name is really important because that's the only thing that's really grabbing people besides the name and the cover. So you need it to be short, concise, and to and it has to say exactly what it is you want to say. At least like midnight wisdom. Wisdom can be anything, you know, and just everything in life has to do with just living a good life and that's wisdom. So let's think about the proper name for you before you <laughs> Start well, my my like uh, design consulting is uh, business is called Startup Design Coach. Okay. So I think it just kind of falls within that. I don't know if I'm going to have a separate name for the podcast as much as just it's the Startup Design Coach podcast.
Yeah, good luck with finding one, man. That's like something you have to mentally dig through. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know that I'm gonna have a separate one. I think it's better to just keep it all under one name. Like at most, I'll cut the coach and just call it Startup Design Podcast. Yeah. Or something along those lines. Like I want to keep it kind of within the brand name that already exists. Yeah, yeah. I think startup design is solid. You know, it's, it takes your brand name and it uh, it says what you want it to say. You're gonna be talking about startups and design. So yeah, makes sense. Exactly, and it's also something where I'm basically taking those as a beginner. Like it's an extensible brand where there's like startup design system, startup design coach, startup design podcast startup design um like retreats like you know there's all sorts of things that i can kind of attach to that yeah 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 and like then just having a podcast as the pillar within those things just makes you more credible and, and gives your brand more more power i guess or exposure absolutely yeah so cool man i'm excited to record with you man this was this was an amazing episode i, I went through a lot actually uh yeah that was really good <laughs> Thanks yeah, for having we'll, me on. We'll, we'll reschedule another one as soon as possible, I'm sure. For sure. Uh, cool. Anything you'd like to say to the to the Midnight Wisdom family before you before you disappear into Mexico? Uh no, shoot us your thoughts. That's what? all. Shoot us your thoughts. Shoot us Share your thoughts. You yeah, yeah, guys, uh <laughs> the thing is I haven't built a proper place where people can share their thoughts either. You know? <laughs> I, I have the website which is nice and people can contact me there but uh, I don't know I need to create a better community as the community continues to build you know uh, but yeah guys uh, this was Ahmed well, just, just email I guess like email us stuff email what's, email, what's, email me stuff what's your, what's your email <laughs> you just uh, man you know what pissed me off like I I did. I I registered the email midnightwisdom at outlook dot com. Not outlook. Sorry, Gmail. I had the Gmail email and I did it in Jordan. And when I left Jordan and I tried to log in, I couldn't log in. And I tried to recover the password and all of that, and I I couldn't recover the password for midnightwisdom at gmail dot com. And and now it's there, and no one can use it, and I can't use it. So I had to do midnightwisdom <laughs> at, at outlook dot com, oh, which shit. isn't which isn't that bad, but like Gmail is like. Gmail, so, Gmail. Nice. so yeah guys email me at midnightwisdom at outlook.com <laughs> tell me what you think what you i don't know whatever anything uh me and ahmed are gonna talk again definitely very soon I'm gonna talk on his podcast and he's gonna come back and we'll explore i guess a lot more yeah that's our midnight wisdom for you tonight everyone uh take care wish you the best Ciao, ciao. Bye, bye. ciao, ciao from Ahmad. <laughs> cool. All right, All right man, so this, this, is, this is the after dark now. This is after dark. Look, what do we do now? You know, I'll probably <laughs> keep this. I'll probably put this in the episode too. <laughs> oh no, man, you got you got to be concise. You got to cut. <laughs>